How does the cross go from a Roman instrument of cruelty and death to a beloved symbol of hope and life? Stay tuned as Dr. Brown shares three truths about the greatest reversal in history. This is Hearing is Believing. Can you see that cross in your mind? See the beams in your mind, one vertical, of course, to hold the body of our Lord, one horizontal to hold His arms outstretched wide. And the cross of Jesus Christ, the cross adorns our homes. It it stands in our churches. We wear them as jewelry. But the cross, before it was the centerpiece of salvation, was a cruel and excruciating way to die. Matter of fact, we get that word, excruciating, from the Latin, excruciato, which means out of the cross. And so the cross is, was understood as something that was horrendous. But when believers see the cross, we don't simply see agony, we see salvation. Because it was by means of a cross that God saved us, and we cherish that old rugged cross, don't we? Would you sing this with me? On a hill, come on, sing it with me. Far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best For a world of lost sinners was slain. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross Till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. Boy, you sound good this morning. I knew that you loved to sing. Tom lets us know that every week when he leads us. He leads you in singing. Thank you for that. It's amazing how our Lord comes into our chaos and teaches us to hope, teaches us to love, and causes us to believe. You know, this Jesus that you and I serve, He has a way of making beauty out of ashes, bringing joy out of pain, and giving everlasting peace. You see, Jesus is Lord of all, and He has come to reorder the world according to Himself. And the cross, for example, it's no longer this instrument of cruel punishment. Now it's a symbol of salvation. So today what I want to do is I want to talk to you about another great reversal, probably the most tremendous reversal that you and I could ever imagine. The reversal that I'm talking about is resurrection, God undoing death. Did you know that the early Christians, they chose as their worship center the catacombs under the city of Rome, the catacombs. Now, a catacomb is a place where you bury the dead, and the Romans would do this underground. 
because they really didn't want to be confronted with death. But the Christians worshiped there not so much to escape the notice of the Romans, but to make a statement. What kind of statement would worshiping in a cemetery say? Well, here's what I think that it said. The Christians would gather and worship with the dead and make a statement. And that statement was, death is not the end. Death doesn't mean a ceasing to exist. And one day, what's buried is going to rise again. And this morning, we get to look at the capstone of Christian confession, the resurrection of the dead. We're continuing our study in 1 Thessalonians, and if you have your Bible, I encourage you and invite you to turn over there with me in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where we come to this entire passage. You know, it's amazing, if I may just give a little confession for just a moment. When I first chose this series as your new pastor, Expectations of Great Joy, I did that because I was looking particularly at this passage, and I was thinking, my goodness, Here we are coming out of this pandemic, all this expectation that we have of coming out of the pandemic. Christians, we can capitalize on this expectation and talk about the greatest expectation that we know. One day the Lord is going to come back and take our souls away, take our bodies away. But here's here's the thing that I didn't realize as I was thinking through this study of just how intimate this letter of Thessalonians is, where Paul is focusing on community, community, community. He doesn't just start with telling us Jesus is coming back. He starts with telling us all of these other things, how to live, how to order ourselves, and to always keep this in the back of our mind. Jesus is coming soon. Let's read the Bible. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with a voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, As we read your word, we want to do exactly what it said and encourage one another, comfort one another with these truths. Thank you for these truths, Lord, as we read them. Maybe they sound strange to some, but Lord, may we remember that this is the place where we rest our hope on the actual soon return of Jesus. So, Father, even from the outset of this sermon, as we're praying for your help, we do also pray the way the Bible ends. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And as we pray that, we're greeted with another assurance. You said, Amen. I am coming soon. So, help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So what is or what are the great reversals that Christ coming means for the world? The great reversals that Christ coming means for the world. And so what I want to do is I want to highlight just three truths from this text. And realistically, we could do an entire series from this one passage because it gives the clearest picture of the parousia or the second coming of Jesus. It gives one of the clearest pictures of the second coming with all these details. But I just want to give you this morning just three truths of the great reversal that Christ's coming means for the world. Number one, there is now hope where there was once hopelessness. Because of Jesus, there is now hope where there was once hopelessness. There's an old saying that maybe you're familiar with, this old saying that goes something like this, ignorance is bliss. Ignorance is bliss. Maybe some of you said that, maybe some of you said that recently, ignorance is bliss. And there are many who want to shy away from using phrases like death, dying, or died. That sounds too harsh to say that so-and-so died. And so what do we do? We say things to take the edge off of that. We say things like that they've passed away or they've passed on. And we say that because of our sensibilities. We, we round off the rough edge of, of death. And there are many who don't like thinking about death. There are many who don't like thinking about dying because they're uncertain of what, if anything, comes next. There have been some, so many stories of people who've come back, and there's so many stories from all over the world, but no one really lives to tell the story. I remember in high school and, and some of college, I worked at a funeral home, and uh, I know some of, some of you are thinking already, he worked at a funeral home? Yeah, I did. I did. Don't ask me what I did. You really don't want to know. But anyway, I worked at a funeral home, some of high school and in college, and one of my favorite jobs was to take the hearse to, to fill it up for gasoline before a funeral. You say, why on earth was that your favorite job? Because you should have seen the look on some of the faces as I pulled into some of the neighborhoods. There would literally be people sitting on their front porches who would go inside as soon as they saw the hearse coming. There were other individuals who they'd be outside playing whatever game, and it's like the game would stop. I'd watch people shoot a basketball, and they'd see the hearse coming, and they'd just stop, and the ball would just bounce. I always said that I wanted to do this, but I never had the guts. I wanted to dress up like the Grim Reaper and, and drive the car and have a skeleton glove and roll down the window. And as I was going through certain neighborhoods, I wanted to point at individuals and, and say, you're next. But I just never got up the nerve to do that. But we avoid things like death and dying. We don't want to talk about it. But in a world where people avoid the subject of death and dying, Christianity jumps in with both feet. What's the Bible say? We don't want you to be uninformed. There's not a lot of empirical evidence of what happens when you die. But there's one event that happened that informs everything that we know about death and dying. And there was once a man who lived. Once a man that when he lived, he told individuals that he was going to be killed. And he also told individuals that he was going to rise from the dead. And both of those things happened. He was killed, and then he rose from the dead. 
And I don't know about you, but a man says that I'm going to die and then I'm going to rise from the dead and he does both of those things, you can believe anything that he says. And so the Bible says, we don't want you to be uninformed. And the ESV here in verse 13 rounds off the Greek. It literally says, we don't want you to be ignorant. We don't want you to be ignorant. And I don't want anyone here to be ignorant. None of us want each other to be ignorant. Well, what do we not want to be ignorant about? Ignorant about what? Continue reading the Bible. Those who've fallen asleep. Now, there's a great way to refer to death. Sleep. Now, some of you are perhaps run off into some thinking, and you've heard individuals talking about soul sleep, where it's like you're in some kind of limbo state while you're in the grave and no consciousness or those kind of things. That's not what the Bible's talking about here. Asleep, as in what comes after asleep, is awake. What comes after death is resurrection. And that's for everyone. Everyone. Because of Jesus, everyone will be raised. Everyone who's ever lived is going to be raised. Now, some are going to be raised to an everlasting death. Others are going to be raised to an everlasting life. Now, just think about those terms just for a minute. Everlasting death. Everlasting life. You say, what's the difference between the two? One thing faith in Jesus Christ. That's the difference between the two. I've done many funerals in my day, and one of the favorite things that I have the privilege of doing, and I mean this when I say this, and let me confess, Tom, I'd rather do a funeral than a wedding any day, but anyway, uh, I think that they're easier. But one of my favorite things to do at a funeral is to be at the graveside and to look around at all of those markers, at all of those flowers, and to remind all of those people listening that one day every grave that you see is going to be empty. Every grave. Some will be raised to everlasting life. Others will be raised to everlasting death. And what's the difference between life and death? Jesus who died and rose again. But today we're not talking about the general resurrection. We're talking about those saints who are asleep in the Lord, who are looking forward to the resurrection, those who've died in faith, those who are absent from the body and present with the Lord, those who are awaiting a reunion of resurrection with a glorified body. They are said to be asleep. And this is our hope. And so when we're tossed into a sea of grief, hope keeps us afloat. Because the Bible says we grieve as as those who have hope. When I was first starting out as a pastor, I was on the funeral call list for folks that uh, in the Raleigh-Durham area who, who didn't have a pastor. So individuals would die, and the funeral home would call me, and I would graciously go and preach the gospel 
at a funeral. And by the way, please encourage every pastor or person who preaches a funeral, ask them to do one thing for you if you ask them to do your funeral. Ask them to preach the resurrection. I've been to so many funerals where I've heard pastors not mention the resurrection, and I'm thinking, oh, how could you miss the moment? It's here. Don't be afraid to talk about death and dying. Death is literally in the room in some cases. Give the people hope. The only hope there is is the truth of the resurrection. I would show up to, in Raleigh-Durham and individuals that I never met before, I would show up to some gravesides and I would see nothing more than a box there, really not sure if what was in the box or who was in the box or if anything was in the box, taking the word of the funeral director who told me that there was. But my message was always the same, regardless if I knew them or not, there is a resurrection. And some will be raised to everlasting life. Others will be raised to everlasting death. The difference in the two is faith in Jesus Christ. But I have seen the difference. Doing all of those funerals, I have seen the difference that hope makes. I've seen my fair share of of folks grieving without hope, and, and I can say this, that it is the saddest and most painful thing in the world to watch a family grieve without hope. On the other hand, I've been part of some celebrations where folks, they live their life every day to see Jesus, and everyone knew it, and then they came to die, and there was an assurance that they were absent from the body, present with the Lord, and so there was sadness, but the sadness was different. It wasn't the same sadness. There was grief, but it was hope-filled grief. And let me ask you this morning, what makes the difference between hopeless grief and hope-filled grief? What is it that makes the difference? But it's, it's not so much what makes the difference, but who makes the difference. The difference between hope and no hope is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He's the one who conquered death for you. And this Jesus who walked out of the grave, who with the sound of His voice made once what, what once was dead come to life, He's calling you to trust Him with your life and trust Him when it's your turn to die. Scripture isn't telling us, don't misunderstand, it's not telling us not to grieve. Look at verse 13. It's telling us these things so that we won't grieve as others who don't have hope. So the Bible's not telling us not to grieve. We're not supposed to be stoic. We're not supposed to have that disposition of, how dare you cry? Aren't you hoping in Jesus? No, no. Remember, even Jesus wept. One of the most powerful statements in our English Bibles, the shortest verse in our English Bibles, Jesus wept. Remember who it is that's weeping, it's Jesus. 
he knows that in just a couple of moments he's going to call out and Lazarus is going to come out. But yet still we see him weeping at the grave. You know why I think he's weeping? He's weeping because he knows death has had its way up until he came. So the Bible is giving us what we need in the face of grief, and here's what we know about grief. And here's what we know about grief. Listen, you have experienced it, or you will experience it, and probably you'll experience it in your life over and over again. And what you need this morning in the face of grief is hope, and hope that rests on a sure salvation, not of some, boy, I hope so, not some blessed maybe, but a blessed assurance, a hope that you can hang your life upon, a hope that when you come to die, you can still rest assured, because you have this hope in Jesus, only Hope is going to carry you through those moments filled with grief, and the hope that Scripture offers, listen, is the hope of resurrection. Resurrection. And that's the hope that we offer to the world, the hope that Jesus came bringing in Himself, the hope of causing what was dead to come back to life again, and what was dead to life again will live never to die again. That sounds audacious, doesn't it? To go out to the funeral, to go out to the grave, to look at that marker, to remember your loved one, to remember that friend one day is going to rise again. That's exactly the message that we proclaim. Listen to the Bible. Look at verse 14 through 17. Since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and the sound of the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we will always be with the Lord. You see, the great reversal that Christ's coming means for the world, number two, is life where there was once death. Life where there was once death. Look at verse 14. I love the way that it starts. It almost starts like a creed. It says, we believe. Or better, we should start before the we believe and say, since we believe. Our belief has a result. Our belief has a result, and the result of our belief is is hope. 
is hope. What do we believe? As we read those verses, they're astounding. It's amazing. This is what Christians believe, and we have believed for 2,000 years. This is why we're all gathered here today. This is why we come together, because we are anticipating the day when Jesus will come and take our souls away, take our bodies away to unite our souls and our bodies again. Look in verse 14. In verse 14, again, we see the first glimpse of a theme that's been with us since chapter 1 and, and verse 10. I have to flip back one page in my Bible. Maybe you have to flip back too, but look at chapter 1 and verse 10. It says, wait for the Son from heaven. The Son whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So all the way here in verse 14, all the way here in chapter 4, we see, we see what we've been waiting for. And we also see how He will deliver us from the wrath to come. And the way that He's going to deliver us from the wrath to come is resurrection. Resurrection. And look at verse 17. In a very specific term, rapture. Rapture. Look at verse 17. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be raptured up together with them in the clouds. Resurrection. Rapture. Both of those terms are our terms as Christians. And it's these terms that we give to the world. Now, many of you today, when you hear the phrase rapture, some of you are thinking in the terms set by the most significant work in Christian fiction in modern times, the Left Behind series. Let me just say this about that, because we could talk about that night and day. Remember this, that those books are not Scripture. And let me say this, Scripture is better than those books. Let me simply say this about the rapture. It is more glorious than the imagination of LaHaye and Jenkins. Honestly, I'm not convinced that they get it right. But I am convinced of the details of this text. God's going to rapture us away. We're going to be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And, and let me, let's notice this. Notice this familiar concept here, again, emphasized. Notice verse 16. The Lord Himself. You see that? I have that underlined in my Bible. The Lord Himself. Here again is, is Paul is bringing to our attention this personal Lord, His personal presence. Our God is such a personal God. I sure do hope that you have a personal relationship with Him. I hope this morning that you can honestly say that you know Him, and you can honestly say that, that you want to know Him more and more. I hope that you have a childlike imagination 
when you considered him. That you never get tired of asking the questions that my children are asking me now. Daddy, what's it going to be like? What's it going to be like? Some of you have stopped asking those questions. I want to encourage you to ask them again. I remember C.S. Lewis in the forward of the dedication to his Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. He dedicates it to his niece, Lucy. And he says by the time that he finishes writing it, she will have been too old for fairy tales. But then he says, one day, maybe you'll grow into fairy tales again. And you'll pick it up and start reading it. Some of you believers here this morning, because of all of the, the tolls and snares and difficulties that you face, they've come against your faith and they've hit your faith and washed your faith and eroded your faith. Some of you lost the luster of your wonder. And I just want to encourage you to have it again. Because this is what the world needs. This truth, our truth, this strange-sounding belief that the dead are going to raise. And it's not going to be like the walking dead or some zombie, none of that stuff. It's going to be so much better than any of that. The world's substitute for this truth is only that, a flimsy veneer. But Christ gives us hope, rock-solid assurance. What's it going to be like? I love the way that Mercy Me captures the moment when Bart Millard says in his song, Finally Home, and, and there's one line that I love in that song. It says, then I'll gaze upon the throne of the king, frozen in my steps. All the questions that I swore I would ask, words just won't come yet. So amazed at what I see, so much more than this old mind can hold. When I finally make it home. You see, in our text this morning, it's not so much making it home as it is God bringing home to us. As the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ the kingdoms of this world become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and we will reign with Him forever and ever. Look at the text. Remember how personal this God is in chapter 3 and verse 11. We have this phrase, God Himself, to do this. And then in chapter 4 and verse 8, we see that God is the one who gives His Spirit to us. He gives Himself to us through His Spirit. And then at 4 9, we see that uh, God Himself is our teacher. He, we are taught of God. And now we see in chapter 4 and verse 14, we believe. This is personal. This belief belongs to us. And we are wrapped in this truth as it consumes us. It, it raptures us away. Now, don't miss this. Pay attention. 
The emphasis of the text is, is building to the end of verse 17. Look at how verse 17 sits. And this is what the whole text is building to. This is the good news. Are you ready for it? We will always be with the Lord. That's the good news that we've been waiting for. We will always be with the Lord. We spend so much time thinking about the finer details of the first half of the verse that we miss the point. Well, the dead in Christ will rise first, and these things happen, and the timeline, and you've got to walk the straight rope of the timeline, and all the, the point of it all. We will always be with the Lord. We will forever be with God. And this God who has been pursuing us, who has been pouring Himself lavishly upon us, will finally have all of us to Himself forever. Now, this is joy. This is satisfaction. This is hope. This is forever with God. This is eternal life. Oh, what's it going to be like to be with God forever? What's it going to be like to finally see His face and to have Him look at you in the eye and say your name? Andy, Welcome home. What's it going to be like when I see his eyes for the first time? And when I hang my head in his presence, he lifts it up. When we finally see him face to face forever. You know, you read the Bible, especially in the Gospels, and you see everyone that ever came in contact with Jesus, everyone that He touched, they always wanted more of Him. And I'm just imagining the same is going to be true for me and you. And it's going to be all through eternity where we will never reach the depths of our love for Him because we know that we've not even touched the surface of His love for us. Did you know that He's more ready to listen to you pray than you are even to pray? Did you know that He is more willing to forgive you than you are even willing to ask for, your, for His forgiveness? This is this God who loves you with an everlasting love greater than you could ever imagine. And He's calling you to be with Him for forever. No wonder Paul puts things in the terms that he does in verse 18. What an amazing therefore in verse 18. 
in light of all that came before, and in light of all these astounding truths that, that God has just leveled against our souls, we're left with this feeling. And what is this feeling? Well, my English Standard Version says, encourage. The feeling that we're left with is encouragement. But the word here literally is is a word used to describe the ministry of the Holy Spirit in different places. It's a ministry that, that highlights His coming alongside us. He stands alongside us. So the idea that we take from these truths is that, is that we believe that, and we remember them, and, and when the waves of death come knocking at our hope, remember our confession. Remember reality. When sorrow washes over you like a sea, we can take heart. We can be encouraged. We can be comforted by the glorious expectation of God's salvation. You see, number three this morning, the great reversal of Jesus is now comfort when there was sorrow. Comfort where there was sorrow. And remember who Paul's talking to. Acts tells the story. These Thessalonians faced a real threat of persecution. And they were in dangers, and in danger in, in a way that unlike us here this morning, we're not gathering under threat. They gathered under threat. But Paul says, therefore, be encouraged. Continue going. Don't stop living for Jesus. Don't stop hoping. And Christians, they did. You know, one of the places that Christianity spread through the Roman Empire because you would see that instead of cremations, that's what the Romans did, you would see burial places. Burial places. Because the Christians knew that what is laid in the ground, as Jesus said, what is laid in the ground, it's laid in the ground to die, but it's going to rise. What's planted is one day going to rise. And you say, that's crude to talk about what putting my loved one in the ground is planting them. But that's the same kind of image that we're supposed to have with using asleep. What happens after you are asleep? You're awake. What happens after you plant the seed? It rises. This is our hope. There is now, because of Jesus, an unstoppable comfort. There is an unstoppable encouragement that stares in the face of every sorrow that we may face, and we get to say, because of Jesus, we have won. Jesus is coming. This is the Jesus who died and rose again. This is the Jesus who defeated death and is now alive forevermore. This Jesus is coming. And I am ready for His coming. So the question that I just simply want to leave you with this morning is, are you ready for His coming? Father in heaven, thank You for these truths, amazing as they are. You've given them to us as a gift, an insight because of Jesus and His own death and resurrection 
of what our death and resurrection will be like. And Father, the most important part is this truth of we will always be with the Lord. Oh God, it's my prayer that everyone within the sound of my voice is ready, has this expectation of great joy, not sorrow, not despair, but hope. And hope only comes through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's my prayer for those out there listening that they can say in the quiet of their hearts right now, I believe and I trust in this Jesus. Father, may we end this time the same way that we began. Praying, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus, with an assurance that this Jesus who said that he's coming again is coming again. Jesus says, Amen. I am coming soon. And it's in you that we hope. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the preaching ministry of Dr. Andy Brown, Senior Pastor of First Baptist Startville in Startville, Mississippi. If you would like to learn more about how we're taking the gospel from Startville to the ends of the earth, visit www.fbcstartville.com.